I'm going to bring you the Bible reading this morning from John 13, verse 33 to 35. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then continuing with John 15, verses 9 to 14. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. My turn to say good morning. (laughs) Uh, I am sporting a little bit of a black eye. Uh, I don't have just eyeshadow in one eye. Um, last weekend, I had the privilege of babysitting my four nephews. I have no children, but I have four nephews, uh, and they're aged six, eight, ten, and twelve. All by myself for five days. It was a bit of a shock. Uh, but playing one-on-one basketball with the eldest one who's like this tall, he's 12 and he's like this big, he headbutted me. And so I've had this massive uh, black eye for a whole week. Now I feel like it's not very tough, just embarrassing, like a half a makeup. Um, it's funny, like I found myself walking through the shops with a bit of swag because it was like I'd been in a fight and I'd survived, um, but now not so long as so. Just in case you're wondering, I'm okay. I've had lots of people be like, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Just a crazy tall nephew who's very good at basketball. Uh, I believe that this is my last time sharing with you on the topic of uh, scattered servants. So I'm very excited for what God has been sharing with me, challenging me in and um, getting to share that with you this morning. So how about we pray again? Jesus, I thank you that you are here. You're here moving amongst us. You know every single heart in this room. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would reveal Jesus to us, his heart, his ways. 
and his desire for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would silence all the distractions, that you would help us to hear your voice. Lord, may we have the courage to respond to you today in however you ask us to. We submit ourselves to your leadership, your lordship, your word. Just thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name. At the end of uh, my message today, I'm actually going to release a prophetic word over this church, over uh, Billabong Canning Vow specifically. And if you're not familiar with prophetic words, uh, that's totally okay. At the essence of it, a prophetic word is simply hearing from the Lord and then speaking it out and declaring it. Um, With a prophetic word carries an invitation to partner with God in something. So just because it's declared doesn't mean that it's automatically going to happen. Uh, we must choose to partner with, the God, with God and walk it out and steward that prophetic word. Uh, I also say that we are human, <laughs> which means that we can get it wrong when we deliver. So it's always up to the recipient to discern the word. Right? Uh, my role in giving it is to ensure that it releases life that it's strengthening, edifying, and comforting, uh, and then it's in, in your hands, in the leadership's hands, to discern whether it is uh, from the Lord. It's different to a word of knowledge. So you may have heard of the gift of the word of knowledge. Jesus demonstrates that with the story um, when he meets the Samaritan woman by the well, where he says... You've had four husbands. The one you're with now is not even your husband. That's a word of knowledge. Whereas a pro- so it speaks of past, present, whereas a prophetic word is more something about destiny and the future. So something to, to step into. Um, prophetic words for me uh, were foreign for a very long time in my life, till about 10 years ago. Uh, when I started to receive prophetic words from people and they really changed my walk with the Lord. They changed how I saw how God viewed me um, and they changed my walk with him and they really released me into a, a new way of life with him. So um, they, prophetic words should always bring life. Uh, So I'll do that at the end. But my message isn't actually about the prophetic. (laughs) Uh, I had an opportunity this week to receive prophetic words from a well-known prophet in the US over Zoom and their uh, school of prophets. So they just invited me for 10 minutes to sit and receive prophetic words from them. And this had been booked into my calendar for about two months, and I was really excited. As I said, prophetic words have been really encouraging to me in the past, so 
really excited. I'm also finding myself in a season where 2024 looks like a complete blank slate. I have no idea what's in store for next year. So I'm somewhat excited that there's going to be some kind of word um, given to me that will help me in the direction to walk into for, for 2024. And so they're sitting there for 10 minutes, receiving these words, many, many words of encouragement. Uh, but after the call, and put the Zoom call away, and I found my heart being a bit discouraged. And the reason for that was, is out of all the words that I received, there was kind of one very clear invitation. And that was that the Lord was inviting me into a deeper, intimate relationship with him. Yet I wanted a word of direction. I was hoping for clarity. I was hoping for answers. And I was frustrated, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. I was a little frustrated, and I'm wrestling with it with God, and I felt him kind of say, is not my greatest invitation to you a deeper level of intimacy with me? The greatest invitation to know him more. And as I look at my life and my walk with him, and I, and I think I can relate to most of us as Christians, how many times do we either come to a church gathering or into our individual times of fellowship with the law simply wanting an answer, wanting direction, wanting to feel better, wanting to know what's going on, compared to just willing to being okay with sitting in his presence. Even if we look at these last few words of Jesus, here are the disciples. They're longing for answers. They're confused. They want direction. Jesus is saying he's going, what's going on? And yet 90% of what he shares with them is about relationship. He talks to him about his relationship with the Father. He invites us into that oneness. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and how it's going to be given to us and the Holy Spirit's role. He's talking about abiding in him, loving one another. It's mainly relationship. And the disciples and us are so often going, we want the map. We want to know if I walk here that then I need to turn here and, and then I need to turn here. And we want to know the destination in every little part along the way. And he's like, I'm not giving you a map. I'm giving you a guide. The Holy Spirit. And that's a little harder for us. <laughs> we would rather so often the map, the clarity, because the guide requires relationship, intimacy, to know his heart. 
We live in such a fast-paced world. We live in such a success-driven, performance-orientated world that it's harder to be relational with God. It makes me think of one of my favourite stories in the Bible, and it's found in Luke 10. And it's about the story of Mary and Martha. And here Jesus comes to the town. Martha invites Jesus in and begins starting to preparing. She was doing what was culturally normative for her. Prepare a meal for the guest. She wasn't doing anything necessarily wrong. Right? Yet, Mary just goes and sits at his feet, just sits there, listening, enjoying his company. And Martha gets so frustrated, right? Let's hear what she has, what has to say here. So Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that I serve in this ministry, in this ministry, in this ministry, and that person doesn't do anything? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Another translation says, Lesser things. You were worried about these lesser things. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Can you all say one thing? One thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Did it mean that the cooking of the dinner didn't matter? Her heart, Martha's heart was in the right place. She wanted to serve Jesus with a delicious meal. It's not that she wasn't doing something wrong. It was just that she was missing the most important thing in that, that moment. that the greatest invitation is intimacy with Jesus. But even as I read this, there's a little tension that goes on in my heart. Because you've also commissioned and commanded me, Lord, to go make disciples. So like, how much do I spend at your feet and how much do I go? Like, where am I meant to be? There's a tension there, right? But what if there actually isn't a tension? What if they're not separated? What if our intimate relationship with the Lord is not as individualistic as we've made it out to be? Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. 
we know that he said in his ministry that the whole law and prophets can be summed up in these two commands. Love God, love your neighbour. Love God is about giving your attention and your affection to the Lord, first and foremost, exalting him above all things. Who's your neighbour? Well, in the Good Samaritan story, which I'm not going to go into detail with, the religious leader asked Jesus, who's my neighbour? Jesus tells the story and pretty much summed it up as, your neighbour is not your Jewish brothers and sisters, it's actually the Samaritan, the one you despise and look down upon, and the one that's not actually like you. The one who's most difficult for you to love. But then if we come to those passages that we just read before in John 13. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Then in chapter John 15, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down uh, one's life for one's friends. The Aramaic word there for friends is family. Remember who who he's talking to here. He's talking to his disciples who are now brothers in Christ. Family. We as the body of Christ, and now brothers and sisters. We're family. Now, I want to do something that's a little dangerous. And I don't expect you to to respond to this in any way. (laughs) But I want you to maybe think about someone in this room who's hurt you. Who's done something that you've disagreed with who you don't share the same opinion on, that you've gotten angry at. And if you can't think of that, maybe just find someone in the room that you don't know very well, or maybe at all. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends family. Let's imagine, and this isn't, again, a great thing to imagine, but imagine a gunman walked in here. Would you put yourself in the firing line of that person you were just thinking about? Would you give up your life for them? Now, the reality is the chance of that ever happening is probably 0.01% in our world and context. It might not be for our persecuted brothers and sisters, but for us, that's, that, that likelihood is pretty low. So it could be easy to say, yes, I would lay myself down for that person. All right. 
because it's probably not going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, yes, it's going to. And I think somewhat in our context, we dismiss that verse because, yeah, we're not really going to ever be required to give up our life for somebody else. But is that the fullness of what Jesus meant here? To lay down our lives. Turn with me to Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or servant and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So we know there he was dying for us, the ultimate demonstration of love. Yet I don't believe that was the moment that he laid down his life for us. I believe that happened all the way at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and they were separated from God. And God put it into a plan, and we read about this in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would strike the head of the serpent. From the very beginning... Jesus said yes to the will of the Father. He laid his life down in that moment with that yes. And then as he came in on earth in human form, laying down his divine privileges, again he said yes to laying his life down in obedience to the Father. As he walked, receiving rejection, receiving hatred, he was saying yes to the will of the Father all the way to that death on the cross. That yes didn't begin at the cross. Our yes to laying our lives down to one another does not begin when we're actually called to physically die for one another. It's actually the moment we said yes to Jesus and we came into a family of believers. What does it look like to lay our lives down for one another in our walk every day? If we go to the beginning of chapter 2 in Philippians there, it says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. You ready for this? Don't be selfish. James is a bit harsher when he talks about this in the book of James. He says, wherever wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find every form of discord and, and evil. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Can you imagine if the churches didn't try to out-impress one another? Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. God hits me hard with that one while I'm driving. I am the best driver on this road. That person doesn't know how to drive. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What does it look like for us to lay down our opinions, our desires, our dreams for the sake of others? You know, I have been a lead pastor before. I have had the opportunity to be mentored and trained by some of the great leaders in the world, ministry leaders. I'm quite confident in my leadership ability, humbly. But in this season, I felt the Lord challenge and ask me to serve Luke. Does that mean at times that I would do everything as Luke does or that I don't disagree with what he does? What does it look like to serve Luke? Well, Luke, what's your heart for you, this church? Who did God create you to be? How can I serve you in your dream? When he asks me to speak into things, it's very easy for me to first go, oh, this is what I would do. But what does it look like for me to lay that aside and say, what's best for him and what he's wanting to see in this church? When he asks me for suggestions, what does it look like to offer suggestions for him not to take them and for me not to get offended. That's serving. You might say, well, I've tried helping someone and they don't take any of my advice. You know, they just don't listen to me. And I'm like, excellent. Because now you're invited into a deeper place of love. Can we love people even if they don't listen to us? My mentor, prior to when I started um, lead pastoring in Bangkok, for three years prior to that, he asked me to be the lead pastor and I said no. He was like, I think you're ready, you're going to be great at it, it's going to be good for you. And I was like, no. Three years, constant asking. No, no. Why? Because I didn't want to live in Bangkok. There's no beach there. It's just buildings. 
It wasn't until God spoke directly with me through an encounter I had while I was in Singapore at a conference one time where I felt him ask me to go to Bangkok that I said yes. Do you know what happened in that time? They had already put a lead pastor in. So I'm like, well, Lord, wrong timing. And he's like, no, you go serve that pastor. Imagine if my mentor had given up on me three years earlier when I said no. Oh, you're not listening to me. I have the best plan for you. What does it look like for us to trust people's relationship with the Lord? Allowing the Lord to speak to them and saying, I'm just going to encourage you, walk alongside you, believe in you, be your biggest champion, and I'll do whatever I can when you're ready to help resource you. Because you know what? What if we're wrong? What if God does have a different plan? What if the church really laid down its life for one another? That, it's, that it saw one another's dreams, desires that God's put on their heart and was willing to serve and give up their lives to resource, to see those, each other's plans come to fruition. Can we believe that the best evangelical, not evangelical, evangelist strategy that the Lord gave us was our love for one another. Because that's what he says in John 13. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Could that be true? That there would be something about our love that the world would look on and be like, wow, what a beautiful God. What will get us to a place of willing to lay our lives down to that place? being willing to serve one another. I believe it's this, and you can put the, the cross up. Sometimes I think we forget about this, that we take our eyes off of this. Because when I look at this, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve that type of love that not only said yes in that moment, said yes at the moment of beginning of time. Complete obedience to the Father. Can we lay aside our offences? Our selfishness, our opinions, and say yes to that. 
There's this beautiful phrase in Revelation 21 where it talks about the new heaven and the new earth and that there'll be no need for sun or moon because God will be our light. And it says this, the lamb will be our lamp. What does a lamp do? It guides, it lights up the way, direction. There's your direction, guys. The lamb who was slaughtered, who laid down his life, if we follow him in his ways, in our love for one another, we'll know the path to take. I want to take just a few moments if I get Peter to come up. Just our hearts, allowing our hearts to reflect on what the Lord has been speaking to you. Maybe there is something that the Lord's asking you to do in response, whether that be apologize to someone, it might be um, asking God the question, who are you asking me to serve? Whatever it is, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. And just look at the cross and just be reminded of what Jesus has done for us and allow him to speak to you.